and the idea is that we've been focusing on emerging out of lockdown. I think slowly but surely um, we're, we're coming out of this weird time and we're embracing the new norm, whatever that looks like. And I hope that all of us will, will come out of it differently. I think God has given us a unique opportunity to reflect and hit the pause button, especially those, all those times. Remember, we weren't allowed out of the house way back in the early days. We're all in the house. It was crazy with the kids and all. Um, but we just, we just had time to stop, and we just realized how busy we all were and the amount of activity that we had going on in our lives. And I think the Lord's given us a beautiful opportunity to reset, rethink, and say, you know, do we really want to go back to all that? That's up to you. It's your life before Jesus. You've got to figure out with him um, which of those things you're going to take back up again, which of them you're not going to take back up again. Um, and even we as a church have to think through that too. So we can learn a lot of lessons through COVID. I think the Lord has been um, teaching us much. The word emerge, I actually ch checked the dictionary definition last night of the word, word emerge, and I read this, to come out of something and become visible. Okay, so it's as if the, we've been hidden and we're going to re-emerge back out into the world where Jesus has called us to be in the world, but not of it. And we're going to shine more brightly than ever. And we're going to carry his kingdom and his power into every sphere of society. That's what he's calling us to do. The, the definition goes on to say, uh, for example, the ravens emerged from the fog. That's a lovely picture. The ravens emerged from the fog. So we're coming out of this sort of uncertain time um, God always brings us through, by the way, always brings us through. Every circumstance of our lives always brings us through. That's what Nehemiah is all about. No matter even if we get a little bit lost along the way and we go off on a detour for whatever reason, could be our disobedience, could be the circumstances of life, could be a mixture of both. God always brings us through and always brings his people back. That's the big story of scripture, you know, redemption and restoration and of course that um, Jesus Christ epitomizes that um, re-emerging, of course, when he came out of the tomb. Um, and he, he's, st he's still working with us, okay? So be encouraged, everyone. God is still working with you. Your story's not over yet. Um, all the good, the bad, and the ugly from your past, some of it we'd rather forget about. Some of it we wouldn't want anyone else to know. Jesus knows it all, and he loves us the same. I find it amazing, his unconditional love. And uh, those of you who have the privilege of being parents would know that, that even, even at those times when you're so annoyed at your children, and I know some of you, your kids are so young, you can't really imagine being so annoyed at them, but the day will come when you will be really annoyed at them for something that they will do, I'm sure. And you know, it's just, it only lasts for a while. You're so angry at maybe something they've done or the way they've spoken to mom or whatever, and it only lasts about five minutes. And you're like, oh, I love you and I want the best for you. You know, it's just a little picture of God's love for us. Unconditional. He's entered into a covenant with us to do us good all the days of our lives. He delights in doing us good. And yet we wonder at times, don't we? The people that we are, at times we're so shallow, we're so fickle. At times we don't always get it right. Sometimes wrong attitudes, wrong words. God loves to pick us up and take us on with himself. He's a God of grace and mercy. That's the story of Nehemiah. It's a story of a great comeback. We all love a comeback story. We all love a, a movie that has a comeback theme. That's why we all love Rocky. Because even though when he's laying there in the 12th round or whatever, we know he's getting back up and he's going to win. 
And we, we love that, don't we? We love cheering for the underdog. And, and this is the picture of Nehemiah. It's almost like that the Jewish people were like in exile, taken there for 70 years because of their sin, Babylonian exile, Jerusalem ransacked, looked like the story of God was over. The people were taken to a foreign land, no temple, no feasts, can't practice their, their normal way of life as the people of God. And yet God has a plan to bring them back again. That's his heart, you see. That's his heart to bring us back and to cause us to come out um, of this season stronger than ever, more, uh, more, more energized and revitalized to uh, embrace all that he has for us in this new season. Okay, so he's given us July and August to enjoy some more barbecues and all that, okay? And um, then comes September. We're going to get stuck in. We're going to really press out into the community and see people one. Who likes a baptismal service? Yeah? Who would like to see one a month? That's, I think that's what Jesus wants for the people around these communities. Nothing like a, a testimony and somebody saying, you know, getting up and telling their story of faith. The amazing thing is, I've read the story, the end of the story of all your lives, and it tells me that every one of you win because you're followers of Jesus. We're all winners. We're all winners. All things work together for good, the scripture says. So if it's not good, it's not the end. And he's always bringing us to new and good places. What does the psalmist say? To still waters and green pastures, he continually leads us. There's nothing quite like following Jesus, is there? It's an adventure. And the beautiful thing is there's always more. For the hungry ones out there, there's always more, always more. You see, the kingdom of God is from glory to glory. It's ever increasing. That's why Jesus said the life that we're called to live is an abundant life. Okay, it's not just, it's not just the cup full, it's overflowing. Overflowing as we walk with Jesus. And that's the life that he's called us to live. What we're trying to figure out along the way is how do we live in that zone? How do we constantly live in the, in the flow of that stream that no matter what comes our way, it doesn't shake us, you know, because we're part of an unshakable kingdom and that our confidence in Jesus and in the sovereignty of God and his ability to overcome in and through us, it's so strong that no matter, even the difficulties come our way, we see them as opportunities to prove God once again. Friends, he's so strong. Our God is so strong, so powerful. And all provision, all provision has already been made. So why should we fear? All provision has already been made. The cross wasn't only about the forgiveness of our sins, but it was a, a deposit of grace to our lives um, to give us the power to be the people he's called us to be and live the life he's called us to live. So that's the stream in which God is, is, is calling us to live. I love the language of 2 Corinthians 4 verse 9. When Paul was going through his most difficult time, uh, one of the most difficult times in his life, he used this little phrase. He says, I'm knocked down, but not knocked out. I love that. Knocked down, but not knocked out. I wonder if he watched the Rocky films. You know, isn't, isn't it fantastic? I've, I've been knocked down a few times, a brave few times, but praise God, I've never been knocked out. I'm still alive, and you're still alive, and as long as there's a heart beating inside you. There's a purpose for you. There's a purpose for you. No matter what age you are, young or old, you're significant. 
and God has a place for you in his big story and a key role to play. That's why in the middle of this Nehemiah 7, we find a massive bunch of names. Um, but it would take me 10 minutes to read them. I don't think you would want me, me, me to read them all, but they're there for a reason. And they're there because individuals are important to God, every single one of them. And God wants all of us to, to just walk in this plan that he has for us. You know, God's plan for your life is way bigger than you realize. The rest of your life, whatever years we have, God has more for you. The enemy would seek to whisper into your ear and say, you're finished. But you know, you just, you just rebuke him. Do what Jesus did. Just say, behind me, Satan, you're under the blood. And just listen to, to, to the voice of God. You see, that's why the scripture talks so much about the renewal of our minds. Your mind is, 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 is so important. It's, um, it's a battleground, your mind. Remember, the, think about the number of thoughts that go through your mind in one day. <laughs> you know, some of your thoughts you probably wouldn't want anyone else to see. But there's battles going on in there between our ears every day. And that's why, as I say, it's important to, to have our minds renewed. You see, the beautiful thing is when we come to Christ, we're given the mind of Christ, okay? So inside Gary Bolton here today is the mind of Christ. Christ's mind is in my mind, okay? And inside my, my, my nature is the nature of Christ. So when I, when I was born again, I was born again of the Spirit, and the very nature of Jesus Christ was placed inside me and placed inside you. The problem is, at times, there's another nature in there. It's the old Gary. But praise God, he's been crucified with Christ. Or he, should, he was crucified with Christ. Same with you. Your old nature was crucified when you became a follower of Jesus. And what we're supposed to do is, with the old nature, we're supposed to put our foot on the throat of the old nature, choke it to death as long as we live. Don't give the old nature a place in our lives. We just allow the new nature of Christ to rise up within us and to form within us the person and work of Jesus in every aspect and area of our lives, and especially in our thinking. That's why in the epistles of Paul, Paul places such emphasis on the importance of right thinking. You see, wrong thinking is going to lead to wrong living. Wrong thinking is going to lead to wrong choices, wrong emotions, emotions of fear and the like. And that's why we're called to think like Christ. I love those powerful verses in Romans 12, 1 and 2, where we're told to lay our bodies down as a, as a living sacrifice. That's where it starts. That's where, it's, that's where it starts every day, by the way. It's not a one-off thing. It's a daily thing like we shared recently. The call is to take up our cross daily and follow him. Okay, and it's in these places of surrender, deeper surrender, and that means just continually handing over and continually laying down all the stuff that makes up who we are, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, all the crazy stuff, the crazy thoughts, the disappointments, the sorrows, the grief, um, the unanswered questions, the complexities of life, uh, your desires, your ambitions, um, your future, all these things. It's a continual abandonment to him. It's a laying down before him. That's what Romans 12, 1 is about. It's that sacrificing our lives before the Lord. And then verse 2 of Romans 12, 
and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind, okay? And that's why elsewhere in Paul's epistles, he uses the language, the washing of the water by the word. So we're, we're having our minds continually washed and cleansed. It reminds me of a guy I used to work with years ago, and um, he, headed off to the, he headed off to the staff room. He says, I'm away here for five minutes. I'm away for a wee wash. It's like, where's your, where's your gear? He says, no, a wee wash of the word. I'm away for a wee wash. And he had his wee devotional book. He was washing his mind with truth. You see, we need to continually um, remind ourselves of truth. You see, the greatest battle that you face and the greatest battle that I face is the battle for truth. It's what will we believe and who will we believe? What narrative will we believe over our lives? Will we believe God's narrative or will will we believe the narrative of the world? Will we believe the the narrative of other people? Or will we believe the narrative of Satan? What, what story are we listening to going on in our head? And it's just so important that each of us daily are, are listening to the right story. You get what I'm saying? Listening to his story. You see, purposes are defined, purposes defined by promises. Okay, so there's promises spoken over your life and my life. And we got to choose every day to connect our faith to those promises of God, whether they be um, verses from Scripture that God has given us personally, whether they be prophetic promises that are spoken over our lives, we choose, this is what God calls us to, we choose to live our lives according to what those promises say, okay? Not by what's going on around us. Circumstances will change. It might seem that that all of hell is against us, but we choose to live according to what God says about our future. And when we get into those rhythms and we live according to those truths, that's when we will see mountains begin to shift, okay? So we need to be speaking to ourselves like the psalmist said. I know like, it's, it's not so crazy to be speaking to yourself today. It used to be years ago, but everyone's speaking like on phones and earphones out and about. But we need to be speaking, we need to be preaching the gospel to ourselves every day. We need to, like the psalmist said, I've learned how to encourage myself in the Lord. And then we need to be exhorting one another, as the scripture says, drawing us alongside one another, being intentional about how we connect with each other, stirring up the, the, the flame in each other to, to, go, um, to, to go move right into um, all the purposes and plans of God for our lives. We need to be doing that together. You see, in essence, what this is, this renewing of the mind, and this allowing the kingdom of God, remember what the kingdom of God is, it's the rule and reign of Jesus, allowing that to permeate and touch every part of our being, that we're saturated in him. You know, when we wake up, waking up, it amazes me sometimes, I think, God, how is that? Every morning I waken up, I think of you. When I'm going to bed at night, I think of you. It's like, this has been going on for over 20 years. How does this actually happen? Because Christ is in us. He's in us. And when we allow him to fill us up, he just becomes our life. It doesn't, you know, we we haven't got our lives sort of set out in little compartments. You know, that's for that and that's for that and that wee bit's for. He just becomes the sum total of who we are. 
and then we, then we discover his heart for us and his love for us, and he's our biggest champion. He's championing us on and cheering us on, and he's saying, I'm a great high priest. I'm touched with all the feelings that you go through. I understand what it means to be rejected. I understand what it means to be sorrowful. I understand what it means to be misunderstood. I understand what it means to be dying. He understands all these things. You know, he's getting close to the cross. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, the greatest hour of his need, the greatest, the greatest need, um, the greatest hour of his life, and everyone abandons him. He knows. He knows. We get to talk to him about all those things. That's just amazing. He is our life. This is what renewal is. That's the word I would give to that, renewal. Renewal is when we're constantly being renewed. God is, God's life is continually flowing through us and we're continually being changed. Mark Sayers, the excellent Bible teacher from Australia, that's how he describes revival. He says, revival is renewal gone viral. Revival is renewal gone viral. That's the essence of what revival is, that when, a, that when a person or a group of people are carrying powerful renewal, the, re, the renewing work of the Holy Spirit, everywhere they go, they bring that renewal. And that renewal gets on the other people. That's why we're prayer walking these communities, because our desire is that the renewal that we're walking in would get on those streets and in these neighborhoods and into people's lives. And we're praying that into people's lives. And then as that renewal multiplies and we begin to light fires all over the place, we soon discover that we're not only living in the midst of renewal, but we're living in the midst of revival, emerging from the fog. This is God's heart for us. There's always more. You see, you teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. You teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. And you'll notice that again, those of you who have kids and you, your kids grow up and they do exactly the same things as you do and you wonder, where did he pick that up from? It's like I walked into the kitchen the other day and my four-year-old son's drinking from the two-liter carton of semi-skimp milk. And Catherine's like freaking out. She's like, That's, he got that from you? And I'm like, is there anyone else likes to drink from the carton? Yeah, it's hard to beat, isn't it? Straight out of the carton, take a wee look with you. Catherine's like, there he's standing there at four years of age, you know, carting right back. And you're like, you see, we teach, we teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. And you're reproducing, you know, people, every, every, every person you come into contact with, you're influencing them. We're influencers, all of us. It's just a question of how you're influencing them. By your attitudes, by your disposition, by your body language, by your words, you're influencing people all around you. That's why in recent weeks and months we've emphasized the importance of coming into our, when we gather together as a church, about taking a little bit of time to prepare ourselves before we come together as the church. Because the way you come through those doors is actually influencing the atmosphere of this room. And we need to recognize um, what we carry. And our desire, of course, is to uh, bless one another. I love that verse that Aaron shared last week from Isaiah 11:3. Speaking of Jesus, it's a, 
a verse uh, spoken prophetically about the coming of the Messiah. It says, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. You know, we've been focusing on that. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. This is a powerful truth. I never really noticed this verse before. I have read it before, but when Aaron shared it, it really stood out. I've been meditating on it a good part of um, this week. And I love the truth, you know, because I don't know about you, but I'm sure you're the same as me in that sometimes we're so influenced by what we see. We're looking around us and the circumstances. We're, we're analyzing the circumstances and they impact what's going on inside us. Or we hear things. We're listening to him. We're listening to her. And sometimes we're too easily influenced by what people say. Now, don't get me wrong. Of course, we can learn from people and all that. But you know what I mean? Sometimes we're influenced by popular opinion or we're influenced by, by the crowd. Isaiah 11.3 says that what Jesus was influenced by, by was the voice of the Lord. Okay? So he finds himself in situations and circumstances where there's like all these people clamoring, clamoring for his attention and this opinion and that opinion and this and that and that verse taken out of context and this religious viewpoint. And he's seeing all these people and Jesus is just living in that zone where he's just has this perfect, perfect relationship with the Father and the, he just hears the voice of the Father so clearly and he makes his judgments and his decisions and all of his choices based on the voice of the Lord. That's so powerful. If we can get into that zone and live our lives like that, we will see significant changes. That's what Nehemiah is all about. It's about God calling forth a people from Babylonian exile, their seven years, and he's calling them back to restore the temple, to populate the city of Jerusalem again, so that the Jewish people can get practice in the feasts and, and, and live the way God intended for them to live. So Nehemiah is a story of renewal. And of course, God's unfolding his own story of renewal here at the Journey Church. We've heard stories recently about open gates. We've had walls built. We've taken other walls down. And we're creating a space for people to meet Jesus. We know that it's not just about buildings. Of course it's not. It's about people. But buildings are often strategic in the purposes and plans of God. Certainly in the Old Testament, they were very significant. But even throughout church history, you will, if you read church history, you will see and read of stories where God chose to come to a sanctified place, a sanctified building. And buildings have key, a key role in the purposes and plans of God as God just works, works out his um, renewing power in people's lives. So at the end of Nehemiah 6, we read those incredible words, and the wall was finished in 52 days. Wow. You know, and they just finished this work in an incredibly quick time. A few people have come through the door recently and said, wow, how did that all come together? We've been working away at that there for about 18 months, and it's only in the last month that it's really started to accelerate. This, th th this is often the way of the kingdom. Often the way of, of the kingdom in our lives, it's slow, 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 not much happening, praying away, slow, not much happening, a little bit discouraged, wondering what's going on, asking God a few questions. 
But when we learn to hang in there and be faithful in those ordinary times, we'll often find that we come into a season of exhilaration and things begin to happen very, very quickly. Okay? And I'm dropping these words into your spirit and I can feel the significance of them as I speak them. Do not give up on contending for the promises that God has spoken over your, over your, your life. They will come to pass. Okay? They will come to pass. The truths of God that have been spoken over your life. Your responsibility is to be faithful. That's why in, in Galatians, Paul tells us um, that we will reap in due season if we don't give up. And he, he exhorts us not to grow weary in well-doing. You see, do you know what that implies? That implies that our tendency is to grow weary when we're doing good, when we're doing the right thing. And it's like, ah, stuff it. You know one of those moments? Stuff it. I'm just, I'm just going to forget about all that and all that discipline living and all that focus with God and his willingness and his voice. I'm just going to do my own thing. And you go off and you do your own thing and then that takes you down a, a re regrettable path. So God's encouraging us. He's calling us to places of faithfulness. Because when you get into the promised land that God is calling you into, whatever that might look like for you, there's going to be giants in that land as well. And you're going to have to be able to defeat them. And it's a bit like David, you know, if he, if he, if, if, if he hadn't learned the ability to, um, to, to defeat the lion and the bear in, the, in secret, he's out in the back field, you know, looking after the sheep. How was he ever going to defeat Goliath? You see, in the, in the battles we're going through in the present, God is always preparing us for something in the future. And sometimes you'll get it right and sometimes you'll get it wrong. But just keep going and keep coming back to the Father and keep telling him you love him and keep telling him you want to follow him and he'll keep embracing you and leading you forward. So although I'm sure there were many a day in Babylonian exile when the Jewish people felt that's all over for us, we've really blown it now. They came to, to, to discover that the grace of God is, is way deeper and way wider and way higher than they could ever imagine. You see, we can't escape his grace. He's so in love with us as his sons and daughters, and he's always pursuing us for a deeper relationship with him. So they begin to come back into the land, and they go through this renewal process. And Nehemiah is the one who's leading the renewal because he's been through the renewal process himself. And God has been meeting with him and chipping away at him and refining him and working in his life and stripping away things that aren't good and, and replacing that with qualities that will help him to embrace all that God has for him. So Nehemiah is in this place. He's called by God. He comes into the city. He's, he, he, he's, he's going about navigating the city. He's assessing the ruins. And could you imagine if he had been controlled by what he saw with his eyes? or heard with his ears, especially what he saw with his eyes, the destruction, the, the ruins of the city. But no, he was governed by the promises of God that were spoken over his life and over Jerusalem. And he's rallying the troops, and he's saying to them, let's choose to believe what God says. Let's, let, let, let's choo choose to believe the kingdom, the kingdom narrative. And he begins to rally the people, and the people begin to walk in renewal themselves. Let me read a few verses from Nehemiah 7. Now, when the wall had been built 
and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed. I gave my brother Hananiah and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem. For he was a more faithful and God-fearing man. There we have it again. God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few and no houses had been rebuilt. You see, the walls were completed, but the city wasn't inhabited yet. And Nehemiah is taking the whole, God's whole process on, on, onto the next stage. You see what's happening here? People are beginning to be activated. People are beginning to, they're, they're being drawn into the big story of God. That's why you have these whole bunch of names, as I've, I've said. And even recently in our church, we have had like four or five people recently in the last month coming to us saying, God's like stirring something in me. He's releasing something in me. I'm ready now to take on responsibility. And we're working at trying to help people figure out what it is God's saying to them and what it is he's calling them to. It's beautiful to watch when the body of Christ is released into their God-given destiny. That's when we begin to have an impact all around us. We have different groups of people mentioned here in verse 1. Gatekeepers were there to protect. Singers were there to worship and inspire people. The Levites were there to teach the law and the principles of God. And delegation was going on left, right, and center. As I've said, this guy, Hananiah, he's given responsibility over, over Jerusalem. Nehemiah had, I'm sure, had an influence on him. And just he releases him. He says, that's your sphere of influence. You go and do that. And then we see that the people had hearts that were ready, ready to obey God's will. In verse 5, it says, Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first, and I found written in it. And then we have this whole bunch of names that over 40,000 people came out of Babylonian exile. But Nehemiah says, then my God put it into my heart. You see, when we're living in, in, in the right place with God, this is what we find. That the condition of our heart, it's good soil. And it's very easy for the Lord Jesus just to drop a little seed in there. The soil is good, it's been prepared. And we will find that the Lord begins to drop things into our heart. Drop things into our heart. Desires. Dreams. Heaven's dreams becoming our dreams. And Nehemiah had got to this place of God where his heart was soft. It was supple. It was open. His heart was sensitive to the person and work of the Holy Spirit. He was in that zone with the Lord, in that beautiful space and place where Galatians 5 says that we walk in step with the Spirit. Nehemiah was following the principle of the Old Testament tabernacle that the people of Israel were, they were led by a pillar of cloud by day and they were led by a pillar of fire by night. And when that pillar stopped, the people stopped. 
And when that pillar began to move, the people moved. And if that pillar was moving fast, the people moved fast. And if that pillar was moving slowly, the people moved slowly. And this is the way, this is the life that God has called us to live. Tuned in to the voice of the Lord. Minds renewed, saturated in Scripture. Learning to discern what the voice of God sounds like. As it says in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. We're working that out, what that, what that looks like and what that sounds like. And it's amazing here to see these people being empowered. And from verses 6 through to, through to 65, we have this huge list of names. And it's there to show us that everyone matters. Everyone matters. Everyone's important. And some of life's greatest heroes, some of the greatest heroes of the faith, they're not known to the world. They're not known to the world. But God, they're known, they're known by heaven. And God will bring them out on that great day. And he'll reward, it. He'll reward them according to their works done in the body. I love that teaching of scripture. The day when we're going to give an account for our lives. Do you know why? Because that gives me great freedom in my life to live my life in a way that, you know, I enjoy it when people say good things about me. Do you? Do you like it when people say good things about you? Yeah. But, you know, if those good things aren't coming my way, I can still cope. I can still cope. Because really at the end of the day, we're living our lives before an audience of one. Yes, we're accountable to people, of course. Yes, we're living life in community. Yes, of course. And we ought to be able to learn from each other and to grow. But ultimately, I'm living my life and you're living your life before an audience of one. That's what it means to live according to the fear of the Lord that we've been learning about. It's every decision I make, right? Every thought that I dwell upon, every attitude that I embrace, as the scripture says, we're going to give an account for every idle word. Wow. That's right down to every detail of my life. That's what it means to live according to the fear of the Lord. Okay? So the decisions that I make in my Christian life, having sought counsel from other people and having sought the Lord, and I make those decisions. Whether or not you agree with them or not, I mean, isn't really my biggest challenge. And it's, that's what I'm saying about you too. Now, don't get me wrong, okay? Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we go off as loose cannons and do our own thing. What I am saying is we're going to give an account to him. All of us are. And that's, that's the way we should be living every moment of every life, of every day, in public and in private, when no one sees us, how we talk to our kids, how we speak to our wife when we're standing in the kitchen. The attitude that we have toward life, toward church, toward work, all these things, they, they really matter to God. They really matter to God. You see, all of life is worship. All of life is worship. We're always worshiping something or someone, and that's the life that we're called to live. This is the, the, the renewing power of the work of God that's going on here in Nehemiah's seven, these big long list of names. I don't really like the movies. I know a lot of you do. It's okay. God's okay with that, the movies. Um, in fact, 
if I go to the movies, there's a chance to have a good snooze. I'm serious. I take the kids to the movies. It's an hour and a half. Do you know one of my favorite parts of the film? I know this might sound a bit boring. Do you know the end of the film when all the names come up? Everyone gets up and walks out. I often sit on. I love that bit. Do you ever see how long that list goes on for? It goes, it goes on for about five minutes. And you're sitting there and it's like the sound producer. And it's like the co-sound producer. And it's like the assistant to the co-sound producer. And it just goes on and on and on. All the people that it took to make this movie happen. They're all, they're not, not, none of those people are known. It's the, the movie producer and the, the main actor or actresses who everyone's like, oh, wasn't that a great movie that he produced or whatever? But it's all these people in the background who are, who, who are causing this movie to be what it is. And that's the same in the kingdom. It's the people who are serving behind the scenes. It's like somebody opened those doors today and put a stop in it. Somebody set these seats out. Somebody greeted people at the doors. Somebody switched the lights on. Somebody prayed so that this building could happen. Somebody's in the people in minding the kids. It's, it's all of us working together as the body of Christ. This is when things really begin to happen. But remember, all of life is worship. These people were going through serious renewal in the Holy Spirit. And the kingdom of God was touching every part of their lives. Even to the extent that it began to touch their pockets, their bank balances. We read in verse 17, Now some of the heads of, of father's houses gave to the work. The governor gave to the treasury 1,000 darics of gold, 50 basins, 30 priest garments, and 500 minas of silver. And some of the heads of the father's houses gave into the treasury of the work 20,000 darks of gold, 2,200 minus of silver. And what the rest of the people gave was 20,000 darks of gold, 2,000 minus of silver, and 67 priests' garments. That's a lot of stuff, okay? What does all that mean to us in 2021? Well, commentators and biblical scholars tell us in today's money, what these people gave added up to 3.5 million pounds, okay? The renewal of God was so strong upon their lives that they wanted to put their money where their mouth was, and they wanted to start backing the kingdom with their finances. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit touches the deepest parts of our lives, okay? Everything opens up, open hearts, open mouths, praise, open pockets to give, and we become a powerfully uh, generous people. And of course, we as the people of God are also called to lives of generosity because generosity reflects who Jesus is. I mean, how generous has he been to us in his patience, in his love, in his kindness, in his faithfulness? Just look at the cross like we're going to do in a couple of minutes and see the generosity of God for us. The gospel is designed in a way that what Christ has done for us, that change takes place in our lives and then it's, it's worked back out again in our, our, our generosity. And of course, one of the ways that we can measure our love and devotion to God is by what we give to him financially. Okay? Jesus spoke more about money in the Gospels than he did about heaven and hell put together. Money is a big deal in the kingdom of God. Now, we don't talk about it much. We don't even talk about it that much in the front, up from the front. It's a wee bit awkward. Of course it is. I find it a wee bit awkward too. But it's in this passage and it's certainly throughout scripture, so it's worth, certainly worth speaking about. 
you see 3.5 million here was given to the work of God. The reality is the work of God is not going to advance without cash. People have to be paid. Buildings need to be built. Missionaries need to be supported. Outreach events need to be organized and paid for. The poor need cared for. Whatever it is in church life, whatever we go to do in life, it often costs money, right? And the same with the work of the Lord in the local church. And these needs are primarily met by the people who make up the local church. So for this church, it's me and it's you. And it's a beautiful privilege, a beautiful privilege to be able to give to the work of God. It's an act of worship that we're called to do. And the way we're to give, according to 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, is like this. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, okay? So this isn't just like a, you know, a random, ah, we'll give that this month or we'll give that. This, the picture here is that we're intentionally sitting down, might be as a married couple, might be on our own, might be as a family, as we're instructing our children to do in these days as well, the importance of giving. Our eldest boy, Isaac, just got his first job. One of the first conversations is, what are you going to do with that money? What percentage of that money is going to go into the kingdom of God? Because we have to bring our children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. So that's the picture here in 2 Corinthians 9. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You see, when we go through this deep renewal with God, we want to give. We understand what it talks about in the book of Acts when it says it's actually better to give than to receive. We get more joy out of giving than we do receiving. Because when we give, we bless others. We bless the kingdom. We bless the work of the Lord and the advancement of the gospel in Lisburn, Ireland, and the nations. Such a joy to give. Something we have always sought to do as a family, and that is to give of the first fruits of our income before God. You see, God's not after the crumbs. He's after the first fruits. Do you know what the crumbs looks like? The crumbs looks like when we, say, get our monthly salary and um, we, we pay for everything it needs paid for and um, we do everything it needs done and we get all the kids sorted. Um, we maybe put a wee bit of money away for that, a wee bit of money away for that, a wee bit of money away for that and then we say, oh, how much have we got left to give this month? Oh, 30 quid. That's not what first fruits means. And the principle of first fruits is taught right throughout the scriptures, okay? First fruits is this. The money comes in. We intentionally, first of all, give to God sacrificially out of that, okay? Before, before anything else, before the mortgage, before the kids' uniforms, before the budget for the holiday, God first, first fruits. We've always practiced this as a family. The principle of tithing, I believe, is taught in scripture, it precedes, actually, the Mosaic Law, way back to Matizildat. I know there's some theological debate as to whether tithing is for New Testament Christians. I believe it's a good principle. In fact, I believe it's actually, I believe it's actually a minimum amount. I believe that if we're in the age of grace, we should be given over and above what they gave in the law. Why not? The first fruits as an act of worship on the King Jesus for what he's done for us. It's one of the greatest delights in my life. And I remember looking back over the years, I don't like to talk about myself all the time in sermons, but I think it's appropriate on this occasion. I remember even at times coming up, you know that time in August when you look at the, oh, getting the kids back to school and 
uniforms and all that. And we just kept saying the first fruits to Hugh. The first fruits to Hugh. If it meant wearing last year's trousers or last year's tie, so be it. First, first fruits to Jesus. You see, when I gaze at the cross, when I gaze at the cross and I see what the Lord gave for me, I can't do anything else but give him my first fruits. And it's a beautiful thing in this renewal process to be giving God of our finances. So I believe that that 10% a tithe is the beginning point, tithing into the local church and then supporting missionaries and other kingdom causes after that. And always seeking year by year to increase the amount we give, whether it's only 1%, intentionally sowing into the kingdom, sowing into the kingdom, sowing into the kingdom. Because this is an act of worship unto the Lord and the work of God will not go forward without it. Beautiful renewal going on here in Nehemiah 7. People being changed, cities being changed, all sorts of kingdom works being initiated as the kingdom advances. And what I would love us to do, just in closing, is I would love the band to come up and I would love us to get to that place of the cross. And Gary didn't even know, I mean, we hadn't chatted. He actually asked me about this week's message quite late on in the week. I hadn't even started it. This week has been a bit crazy. Um, but he chose when I survey, and I thought, perfect. When I walked in this morning and heard him playing, I thought, perfect. And we actually haven't had a chance to give this morning. If you, if you, if you want to give to the work of God, um, our welcome team will, will, will pass through um, with, with the baskets. But let us just take the communion in closing and linger over this song. This is one of the most beautiful songs to bring us face to face with the cross. Lord Jesus, we worship you. We are compelled by the love of God. Lord, where would we be today without you? Where would we be without you? Where would we be this morning without you? Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for the renewal that's taking place in our lives. Lord, we want to give to you the first fruits, whether that's financially or energy or time or whatever that might be. We want to give all of our lives to you, every aspect of our lives. May the words of our mouths, the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God. Lord Jesus, for your broken body, for your shed blood, oh, we are so thankful these emblems now in remembrance of you and we sing this beautiful song together when I survey Lord just bring us to the cross again bring us to the place where it all started and reconnect our hearts with yours we worship you Lord Jesus Amen.